What goes through your mind when you hear the word negotiation? Are you hesitant? Do you feel like you need to walk into a battlefield and take out your sword or wear a power suit so you look tough? All of the above? My guess, Tori doesn't think so. Negotiating is scary, but we make it worse because we think that it's going to be this huge, this huge conflict, this huge fight. I get that negotiation is scary, and it doesn't have to be your salary at stake either. It can be a new job title, more flexible work options, or even better health benefits. Now, but you know what? Sometimes all it takes is a simple mindset shift for you to walk into that meeting like a total badass. Welcome to Beyond the Dollar. With me, Sarah Lee Kane, we have deep and honest conversations about how money affects your well-being. We go there. The guilt, stress, exhilaration, and fear, no topic, is taboo. Today, I'm chatting with Tori Dunlap, who is the founder of Her First 100K, where she gives women actionable resources to reach their first six figures. Her career started with landing a digital marketing contract worth tens of thousands of dollars and a full-time position as the head of marketing and communications for a global security company all before she turned 22. We chat about how to approach negotiations from a mindset standpoint, why using some online resources can backfire on you when determining salary, and small steps on how to boost your confidence when negotiating. Please stick around to the end of the episode where I'm going to give you some guidance on how you can negotiate like a badass, just like Tori. Now, before we get started, I want to talk about support for the podcast. If you get a lot of value out of these episodes, one way to support the show is to sign up for a free trial of Audible. Seriously, it doesn't cost you anything. Now, when you sign up, you get a free 30-day trial, and that includes two audiobooks for free. I get a little kickback in return, which will help fund the show. To nab your free trial, go to beyondthedollar.co slash audible. And to check our resources that we've mentioned in this episode, head to beyondthedollar.co. Now, grab a seat and let's go beyond the dollar. Tori, welcome to Beyond the Dollar. I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So one of the things I want to talk about first is basically these two sentences that I read on her first 100K with your website. And it essentially says, I had sexist negative comments said to me at work by male colleagues. So I knew that I had to fight back. And I want to dive into this. So tell me about these sexist negative comments and what do you mean by fighting back? Sure. So my first job out of school was an incredible position. I ended up getting hired to do social media, but realized very quickly that I was going to be the only marketing or communication person for this global company of 5,000 employees. So it was an amazing first opportunity out of school. However, it was a security company, which meant it was a lot of dudes. <laughs> it was a lot of, of men who had been in the military or used to be police officers. And so tended to skew more conservative as well as some of them were just, just didn't know how to talk to women, quite frankly. And so there was one in particular who, I don't know, do you want me to say exactly what he said? Is that, does that make sense? It's got an explicit rating. So I'll, I'll, Sure. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't that crazy, but it was just, <laughs> right. he basically, he was probably in his early forties and I had just graduated school. So I was like 21, 22. And he said something to me like, I know you want to date me, but like, that's not going to happen. And he had a 16 year old daughter and I was closer in age to the 16 year old daughter than I was to him. And of course it just came out of the blue and it was just like, 
no, just because I'm a woman and we work together does not mean I want to date you. And it was just, it was one of those, those things that you, you hear. And I think 10 years ago, most people just brush it off, but knowing what we know now in a, like a post 2016 world, it was just like, I can't believe you said this to me. And so that is the one, the one thing that sticks out in my mind in particular. And then I have, I've had so many female friends come to me and say even, you know, say they've had even worse experiences around not getting paid the same as their male counterparts for the same job, having even more sexist, uh, just really, really horrible things said to them in the workplace. And so I realized very quickly after graduating school that this was a systemic issue and that financial education was really one of the ways to solve it, truly. I don't think we have any sort of equality as women before we have financial equality. And so, yeah, I, I, for me, the fighting back is I was privileged enough to grow up with a financial education. And I feel it's my responsibility to give that knowledge forward. So with privilege does come that responsibility. That's awesome. So one of the things I know that you're really skilled at is negotiation, which is the reason that I, I invited you on because you teach a lot about that on your website. I know I've heard that you talk about it and talk. So before we dive into some of your tips and advice, what are some myths about negotiation that you really commonly hear? So the first one I hear is that negotiation is a conflict, like it's a fight. It's something that you're going to have to do. You have to like put on your boxing gloves, unsheath your sword. You're going to have to go in the ring and like fight it out. And I always say to my clients, negotiations are collaborations, not conflicts. They're not fights. They're not, they're not something that you're going to have to brawl out for. Like it's just a conversation about compensation. For women, especially, I hear this because it's scary, quite frankly. Negotiating is scary, but we make it worse because we think that it's going to be this huge, this huge conflict, this huge fight. The other thing I hear a lot, especially from women, is, well, I don't want to lose the job, or I don't want to lose, you know, any sort of raise opportunity by negotiating. Too many women think, okay, if I negotiate, I'm going to lose this opportunity. They're going to say, no, how dare you negotiate? How dare you ask for what you know you're worth? And, you know, we're just going to cut ties here and send you on your way. And that's just not true. Because if they wanted you, they offered you a job, right? They want you. That's not going to happen. And I say to people, if it does happen in very rare cases, that's not a job you wanted to work for anyway. That's not a company you wanted to work for anyway. If they're not willing to have an honest conversation with you about compensation, and you've done this in a polite, skillful manner, then honestly, yeah, good riddance. Not a, not a company you want to work for. So I think those are the two most common things, that negotiations are going to be some sort of fight, and that they're going to be scary and, and full of anger and stressful. And then the second thing is that you're going to lose the opportunity if you try to negotiate. That's a really good point. I think those are definitely the two that I used to... or I still face sometimes when I'm negotiating with clients, but especially back when I worked at a nine to five. So now my experience and maybe in yours too, is that you can get all the practical stuff there. Like I can have a nice binder of all the results I've given to my company, or I can prove my worth to a client, whatever it may be. But it's still there's still kind of this nagging imposter syndrome or those voices in the back of your head right. that tell you that no, you can't, or you get so nervous when you get to a meeting, you maybe mess up on something. Like what, what have you done in your experience to really get those fears out of the way or at least work with them? Yeah. 
The first thing is that it's been proven that women do better in negotiations if they act like they're doing it on behalf of someone they love, which is interesting. So hmm. we're, we're worse at talking about ourselves and our own accomplishments. We're worse at advocating for ourselves, but we're very good at advocating for other people. We go full mama bear. Like, so what I tell, what I tell my clients is pick like your favorite person, your partner, a best friend, your favorite coworker and approach this negotiation. Of course, it's for yourself. But approach it from a mindset standpoint as if you're doing it for that person. And women are proven to be better negotiators, actually better than men when they act like they're doing it on behalf of somebody else. So that's my first quick tip. The second is to use collaborative statements, especially if you get flustered to your point. If there's something that comes up that, that you don't know how to answer or you get really nervous, use collaborative statements. So I want to get to a number we can collaboratively agree on. Or I really want to work together with you on this to make sure that we both leave this conversation feeling satisfied. Mm, those are really, really good ones. So I'm curious, were there, have you ever made any mistakes in negotiation or the first time you ever negotiated? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think, I think I've asked for actually too much. And that's just from me seeing the salary data and what that's at and then my current position. So that's the interesting thing, right? Is that a lot of the salary data is just, it's not great data. Like Glassdoor, I think pay scale is better, but a lot of these see you as a two-dimensional person. They see you as whatever your job title is and then wherever you're located. And I think I base too much of my data just on that. And I really, I really am passionate, especially with my clients about having conversations as well with colleagues, both in and outside the organization. Inside the organization, if you feel you have people you can trust, and outside people who are in your industry who may be able to shed light on what you should be getting paid for this role. And then I actually just spoke last night with a with a woman who runs a company called 81 Cents. And they literally do this research for you. They do like interviews with six to 12 people in your industry to discover like what is your actual market rate rather than just this random number you've pull up, pulled up on Glassdoor. So I think I've used that data as kind of the end-all be-all and then ended up asking for too much because that data was not exactly my role or was not exactly what I did. So I think that's one mistake I've made. I think the other one is actually not asking for enough, right? <laughs> that's on the other mm. side where, yeah, I think there's there's been times in my career where I have been able to negotiate you know, a sizable amount of money more, 10%, 15%. And I think there was opportunity for even more negotiation. And it's not just about salary. That's the other thing I hear a lot. Like I, I, you know, I need to negotiate a higher salary. Of course, that's the ideal. But there's also at times either where the, you know, your employer refuses to go higher in salary, or just when you're looking to get more benefits. There's a million other things you you can negotiate. You can negotiate more PTO. You can negotiate a better title, which of course is at no cost to the company, but sets you up for success as as you progress through your career. Stock options, a sign on bonus education stipend. So they'll give you hopefully a couple thousand dollars where you can go to a conference or you can take an online course. So I think <laughs> I contradicted myself, but at different points in my career, right? It was sometimes I asked for too much. And I think sometimes I asked for too little. No, I, it's funny that you say that because looking on Glassdoor is, is one of the advice that a lot of people do mention, but I haven't checked the site in a while. I'm wondering, is it like a national average that they refer to, they, or is it really specific by locality? They do it by city, but what from what I've mm. found is it's like so. I work in social media for my nine to five, so it'd be like searching social media marketing manager in Seattle, Washington. But that doesn't tell you a lot, 
right? That doesn't tell you, mm-hmm. especially with, with marketing jobs that are so broad and can be so many different things. You can have like a digital marketing position or a social media marketer who also is in charge of content or is also in charge of SEO, who is also in charge of like managing some PR, right? So there's all of these things that could go into this job, whether it's, you know, Glassdoor, we don't know necessarily. They're just looking at every social media job that's been reported in Seattle. And those are obviously going to be very, very different depending on the role and the responsibilities. Some are going to require a master's degree, some are not. Some are going to require like some social media manager positions are people who have seven years of experience. Some, um, you know, people only have two. So it really does depend. And that's why I really suggest working with a company like 81 cents or at least having conversations with colleagues to be able to price yourself better. Yeah, it sounds like it's, I don't want to say soft skill, but there's like almost an art to it. There's totally. no like 100% like this is what you're going to make unless you're on a pay scale like teachers. Right. Um, even then, I think you can, I've negotiated for things even as a teacher, but I love the point that you talked about. It doesn't have to be salary. It could be benefits. It could be going to a conference. So if you had those opportunities to go to conferences or you wanted to, let's say, negotiate a more flexible schedule, maybe you want to be there for your children or things like that, how how would you approach those conversations? Like I know for some corporates, I haven't been in 95 forever, <laughs> but I know you have like annual reviews and things like that. But what if it was like for something quote unquote seemingly small? Yeah, I talk about this. I do actually a negotiating course as well as private negotiation coaching. So I dive into all of this in more detail. But you negotiate it the same way you negotiate salary. And it usually comes when they're not willing to budge on salary anymore. When you know maybe you've gained a little bit or maybe they've just stayed completely firm in whatever they've offered you. I always tell people to push back. I shouldn't say. I shouldn't say always. If you're at like seven times pushing back, probably don't push back again. But um, <laughs> I think too many people, you know, they'll negotiate once and then the company will either say no or they'll give you a little bit more money or they'll say yes to exactly what you're asking for. The latter, of course, is the most rare. But too many people go, okay, then I'm done. And it's like, no, like it's going to be a back and forth. So usually it comes at, at, at some point where they're not willing to budge on salary anymore or where, where there's still a disconnect between what they are looking to offer you and what you want. So, But you're negotiating it just like you're doing a salary, a salary conversation. So you're presenting like, you know, here's how I can bring more value to the company. To your point with like a flexible schedule, right? I work more productively when I'm at home and I really think I can provide more value to you all, you know, with a more flexible schedule. Same thing with like an education statement. Like this is a win-win for both you and me. Like I I will be a better, more educated employee around like for me, let's just say you go to an SEO conference. Like, you know, I'm gonna be a better social media manager for you if I do some training around this topic. So it's definitely presenting the ways it's a win-win for both you and the person that you're negotiating with, your your boss or your future company, and really highlighting the value you're going to be able to provide to them. And if you have like very, very specific statistics around that, offer those. Awesome. Do you recommend somebody maybe practice their spiel or have yes. a script? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I literally have a script that I teach clients and it's called the gratitude sandwich. And again, I go into this mm. more detail in a workshop, but Basically, it starts with gratitude. That's the first piece. The meat of the sandwich is your data and your ask. So being able to present, you know, based on my market research, this is the number I'm looking to hit, your range. 
And then you're ending with gratitude again. So that has worked wonders, not only for me, but at pretty much every client I've worked with. I just had two clients. One was able to negotiate $15,000 more. And then one a couple of weeks ago negotiated, I think, $30,000 more, which was amazing for both for both women. It just makes my heart so happy. So yeah, there is definitely a script to use. If you can negotiate through email, that's what I tell people is most people are offered an offer letter through email and go ahead and respond to that email. We do this for two reasons. The first is we're all better over email, right? <laughs> it's, it's easier to have a conversation about a scary topic over email. The second one is that especially if you're working with me, you can send me the email you're about to send and I can look over it and give you, you know, feedback and we can, we can change some things up if need be. It's just kind of the reassurance that, that it looks good. Yeah, again, advocate, act like you're advocating for somebody else, act like, you know, in your head that you're negotiating on behalf of a partner or some sort of some loved one, a friend, coworker, whatever that looks like. And then negotiations are muscles. Like you have to build that up. Like the more you do it, the better you'll be. So I really do encourage people to negotiate in their everyday life. I actually have an exact script I use to negotiate my bills, like my recurring bills. I have the standing appointment two times a year in my calendar with my car insurance company. (laughs) And I call them and I negotiate my bill down. And you can do this with your cable bill, your phone bill, your credit card interest rate. You can do this on a lot of different things. It's not only saved me like literally thousands of dollars, but it's also, you know, better equipped me to go into these more high pressure negotiations because I feel more confident in what I'm doing. I love those two points. Number one, over email. I never even thought of that, but that is a really great point. So for anyone out there who is terrified of speaking with their boss or supervisor, whoever, try to see me do it through email. And I love the practicing the negotiation skills as a muscle. I think that's really smart to view everything that you do as a negotiation. And if you're in a relationship, you're negotiating <laughs> all the time. Right. Uh huh. And I have a four year old, and I'm I'm negotiating <laughs> with him all the time. So sometimes he wins, but mostly I do. So I'm not gonna go there. But I think that's great because I think I remember reading on your website you talked about growing up watching your father negotiating yes. bills. So yeah. is that where you you basically got it from? Oh, my dad is a master negotiator. I got front row seat to like a master class. Yeah, so he would he would get on the phone probably once every three months, maybe, and you know our cable company would try to slap some random charge on there for no reason, and they actually do this all the time. Like if you really take a look at your bill, you realize like there's a five or ten dollar charge that they'll just sometimes put on there for absolutely no reason, and it's because they know that people won't find it. So he would literally call, and yeah, again, kind of following my script is kind of based on what I saw him do, but. You basically call and, and you state your problem and then you say, what can you do for me? And the really key thing is to highlight your loyalty. So he does this so well. He'll say something. He'll know basically how long he's been with the company. But he'll say to them like, oh, how long have I been a customer with you? And they'll go, oh, 14 years, Mr. Dunlap. And he goes, 14 years. That's a really long time. How do we make sure it's 15? And then he just stops and he allows the other person to respond. Because the other person knows that it is so much more expensive to go out and acquire another customer rather than having you know my dad, who's been a customer for 14 years, leave and go to another company. So, so it was really fun watching him do this as I grew up, and it was just it was just <laughs> it was a really fun experience to have and to be able to go into my first negotiation feeling better equipped because because I had watched my dad do it. I have to say, those silences are always what 
the yes, pause, right? The power of the pause. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, it, it's great. It works on everyone. Well, okay. I wouldn't say everyone. Most people. <laughs> yeah. Most people. And because they just get really, they're like, oh, I don't know what's next. And then they try to they'll blurt out the next thing that's on their mind, which is usually more in your favor, which, right. right again, it's a collaboration kind of thing. But I, I like how he starts with a question and then he goes, he pauses like, oh, this is how long I've been. And it's almost emphasizing the point that I am this, you know, longtime customer. And right. like, you can even use that for other negotiations. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. I often <laughs> do that. I've gotten so much money back in travel credit because something always goes wrong when I end up flying places. There's a delay or, you know, my, my TV and my seat back doesn't work. And so I've negotiated, you know, a couple hundreds of dollars in uh, travel credit for different airlines. And the same sort of thing works where, you know, I've been flying X airline for four years and I'd really love to continue doing that. How can I make sure I, I can continue being a customer? And then if you're not loyal, you can turn it on them and say, you know, this was my first time, or, you know, this is my first couple times using this service or flying this airline. And I'd really love for you to earn my loyalty today. What can you do for me? Yeah. I I mentioned this on, I think you and I were both on Bobby Rebel's podcast, Financial yeah. Grown Up, which is yeah. great. I'll link to both those in the show notes. So it was the first time I shared my negotiation, one of my negotiation stories with her. And I'll, I'll share with everyone now is that I ended up negotiating for about $25,000 in free healthcare, Ooh. all because... All because of one... So this was when I was overseas, all because of one line in the contract. So what had happened is the employees legally has to legally provide you with, with healthcare when I was living in China and he didn't. So instead, mm. what that he would do is you would go get whatever procedures you need and then he would reimburse you once you, you know, hand in the receipt. And on the contract, it basically said... Yeah. On the contract, basically said that the employer will reimburse 100% of all medical costs. And so when I became pregnant, I looked through the contract and told my husband, hey, look, it says 100%. So all of my prenatal, birth, postnatal care should be taken care of. So I went to my employer, uh, the principal, not the owner of the school, the principal. And I said, hey, look, I'm pregnant. You know, All the congratulations got out of the way. And I said, <laughs> now I want to figure out how I'm going to pay for this. And so she was actually almost more excited than me to negotiate because it turns out she was trying to fight for all of the employees to get health insurance. Mm. And the employee was like, no, this is too expensive. Anyways, what happened once he realized that he was basically paying for all of my stuff, that convinced the principal then use that as a negotiating tactic to say, hey, listen, you have a lot of females on staff and they're all married. You never know when this is going to happen again. It's actually cheaper to buy health insurance than to pay right. another 25000 And so she used basically i got my free you know healthcare and then all the employees ended up getting it which was like the crazy a crazy story but i just i love it that's amazing so, so you're not only advocating for yourself but you're advocating for everybody else that's going to come after you i love it yeah it just yeah it just turned out that was so it was so interesting i didn't realize that that's what the the principal was doing was trying to basically get healthcare for everyone so you just never know i think something i've learned anyways is that always go into a conversation, whether it's email or, you know, face to face, thinking of what can be the best possible outcome right. and just think of that. Because right. I think, I don't know about you, but I always get very negative when I talk to people. I just think, oh, they're not going to like this or they're going to shoot it down, etc. But I think if you approach it with, you never know, you have like, you practice this, you've gotten all your act together, like just go into it. 
And I think I was literally having a conversation with one of my best friends yesterday because she was going into this like anxiety spiral that we both talk about. We both have these of just, yeah, we're very positive people, but then we'll just get too much in our brains and it's just really hard to get out. And so we played worst case scenario, which is a game we love to play of like, what's the absolute worst thing that can happen? And it's really usually not that bad, like truly. And then we go, well, what's the best that can happen? And we really hadn't played that game before. And she she turned to me and she's like, isn't it incredible? Like putting your positive pants on. And I was like, I know, because <laughs> it was, it was so uh, not normal for us to do that. So I think you're exactly right of like, what's the best possible outcome in this situation? And then what's the worst of like, what's the absolute worst thing that can happen? And it's usually not that terrible or at least something that you can move on from and, and progress through. So yeah, I love that. Yeah. And it's almost like maybe the worst case scenario is things stay the same. Right. I mean, it's not great. <laughs> it's not great. Right. But let's say you do walk out of a salary negotiation and your salary's the same. Like, are you going to be okay with that? Yes. Because it didn't go down. Right. But maybe that's a sign that you, you want to try to find somewhere else or something right. like that. Yeah. And they give you gifts. Right. So to my point earlier about like, you're not going to lose the job. And God forbid, if you do, it doesn't happen often. I want to make sure that's very clear. It does not happen often. If it does, you are better off because that company truly does not care about you and does not care about your your well-being at the company and your happiness there. And so that is a gift that they just have given you. And the same thing of if they're not willing to give you a raise or talk to you about salary, if they're just like, no, we're going to stay the same. They're giving you a gift. They're showing you that oh, it's time to move on. Like it's time to find another job at another at another organization that's going to value your work. I like how you frame that, that it's a gift. It is. I Love mean, that's hard to, hard to think about in the moment, but it is like after the, the initial disappointment, like it is a gift they're giving you. That's your sign. That's your guidepost to be able to say, oh, okay, it's time for me to move on. Awesome. Well, Tori, it was lovely having you. And this is a question that I always ask my guests. Every episode is, how are you living beyond the dollar? I think, and this is something I teach on my Instagram, uh, in my, my workshops and with coaching clients, I think I'm really focused on getting the most bang for my buck, the most ROI for my money. I think too many personal finance experts, advisors will tell you to not spend money on coffee and to not, to not go out to eat because you're like wasting money and you may as well burn that money. And I just don't subscribe to that. I really truly believe that you can buy whatever you want. You just need to stop buying the things that aren't important to you. So you don't have to stop spending money. You just have to stop spending money on things that aren't important to you. So I think for me personally in my life, what I've really done is found the ROI on my money. Like what are the things that I spend money on that truly bring me the most joy? And for me, that is like travel, a really good meal out and nesting. Like I like buying plants. I like buying throw pillows. I like making my apartment cute. And I've realized that the rest of the things, although I'll buy them sometimes, they really don't matter to me. So I'm going to really spend my money and make sure that it's returning the most investors. What I've really discovered is that if I spend my money on things that truly bring me joy, I'm better off for it. And so that's what I tell my clients as well is like, again, you don't have to stop spending money. You just need to stop spending money on the things other, other people care about that you really don't. So I think I've really been able to, to stretch my dollar and spend more intentionally and make my life better because of it. Awesome. So Tori, where can everyone find you? 
Yeah. So if you go to herfirst100k.com, that's H-E-R-F-I-R-S-T 100K. You can find me and all my socials. I am cooler on Instagram. So come slide into my DMs and say hi. But yeah, you can find all my workshops and my coaching, as well as a bunch of free advice there. I'd love to see you come stop by. Awesome, Tori. Thank you again for coming on Beyond the Dollar. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. As promised, let's dive into the conversation I had with Tori in terms of how you can negotiate better. So one thing she talked about, which I love, is to practice your negotiating muscles. So that could be when you're calling to lower your bill, you're negotiating something with your partner, maybe your child, they're fighting with you over dinner choices, which happens to me on the daily, right? Those are all negotiations because you're trying to reach some sort of a conclusion or compromise that's a win-win for all. So the more you really step into different kinds of conversations that way, hopefully the more confident you're going to feel when you're in a more high stakes situation like annual reviews or bonuses or things like that. Something else that really surprised me and I love as well is to think about how you can advocate for others, like pretend that that's what you're doing when you're negotiating or when you're approaching your boss. Now, apparently studies show that this works for women very well. I would like to think that this works for men. Do what you need to do to to get that salary raise or that flexible work option, whatever it is. Think about also negotiating via email. If you're really scared to have a conversation in person, think about how you can craft an email and ask somebody for something. If you need to, send that email to somebody that you trust and see if you worded it right, and then send that email. All right, so my challenge to you is to start a brag binder. So a brag binder is essentially things that you collect that proves how awesome you are, right? That you wanna brag to other people. So this can be a physical binder. This can be an electronic binder. I have a Google Docs on my Google Drive that were when people email me really wonderful compliments or I receive praise from clients or some results that I've given my clients that help them with their bottom line, I put it in there so that whenever I'm feeling imposter syndrome or if I'm feeling a little nervous when I'm trying to ask for a raise, I go in there and go, okay, you know what? I produce results. I'm pretty good. My work has a lot of value. It's just a reminder for yourself that you can do hard things. So good luck. Let me know if you started a brag binder or if you have one. Slide into my DMs, Instagram at beyondthedollar or email me hello at beyondthedollar.co. I read every single one. All right. Until next time. Thank you so much for listening in on Beyond the Dollar. If you like what you heard, please share with a friend. It'll help share the mission of what we're trying to do, which is to have more deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. Tag them on Instagram or one of my posts at Beyond the Dollar. Send them a link, whatever you want to do to spread the mission of what we're doing here. Now, if you feel that putting money towards the things that really matter is a challenge for you, download our values-based spending guide. You'll gain clarity around what matters to you most in life, be able to name your most important values, and how to start putting money towards those things. To download the values-based spending guide, go to beyondthedollar.co slash values. Thank you again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode. And thanks to Donovan Durant for providing this awesome music. <laughs>